Dear Father God, we just love so much how you care for us and how you watch over us and how you desire each one of us. And Lord, I see that same love and that watch care in the heart of Dr. Saman, Dr. Philip Saman. He truly is a servant, a humble servant, Lord, who loves you and who desires to see others succeed in their walk with you. Amen. And that that shines through in everything that he does, in the ministry of his classroom, in the ministry when he's in churches preaching, in the ministry of his books, Lord, everything that he does, I see Jesus shining through it. And Lord, I long to follow that type of example. And so Lord, I just ask that you would bless him this morning, that you would touch his lips with a live coal from your altar, that you would give him the words to speak and that every heart in this place now would be pierced as we hear what you have to bring to us through your servant just now. And we thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. It's such a wonderful, rewarding experience to travel around the world and meet my former students. It's such a thrill around the world to meet thousands of my students like Corey. And Corey is going to be ordained to the gospel ministry today. Praise the Lord for that. And he invited me to come and say a few words for that awesome, sacred occasion. That will be this afternoon, right? At 3 o'clock in the main auditorium. I invite all of you to come and celebrate the special occasion with us. My wife and I have been traveling across the country to speak at camp meetings this summer. And I woke up this morning at the hotel. We got here around 1 o'clock in the morning and said, where am I? Am I in Los Angeles? Am I in Moscow? Am I, where am I? And it dawned on me, maybe it was Michigan. And so this is Michigan, isn't it? And what's the time now? Because, you know, Los Angeles is different than here. Is it now 11? Is it? Is it 10 o'clock, 10.45? What is it? Oh, five minutes to 12. And my student, Pastor Daryl Bentley, who was standing there. How many know Pastor Bentley? That's a nice name. Daryl Bentley. He told me, Dr. Saman, uh, you know, I said, when do I stop? He said, 12 o'clock. So then I have five minutes to preach. But then he was so gracious to me because I gave him, he earned an A in my class. He said, you can go on to 12.15. Would you like to revise that a little bit in front of everybody? A lot of respect. Okay. Well, anyway, I am so glad to be here. I had the week of prayer at this academy three years ago. Had a great time in the wintertime it was. I spoke at the camp meeting here every evening three years ago. I'm glad to be back here, and I'm glad you're here. And uh, they showed a picture of me. Can you imagine that? I was shocked. Look up there. Oh, don't show it again. <laughs> and, I, and I felt uh, insecure this morning because I'm getting so old. I'm losing almost all of my hair. Whatever I have left, it's white. And I guess I saw this and I said, you know something? I don't look too bad. <laughs> so thanks for Pastor Darrell, my good student. 
and Corey, my good student, for doing some Photoshop to make Dr. Saman look much better. I appreciate that. I will not go back and change your grade from an A to an A minus. I'll keep it intact as is. Well, anyway, uh, the sermon today is about <clears throat> being anchored. All of us need to have an anchor. So many people live their lives aimlessly, floundering. Especially in these last days, we need an anchor, and the only anchor we have is Jesus. And so I want to share with you the main text for this presentation. That is Psalm chapter 16 and verse 8. Psalm 16 and verse 8. Open your Bibles there. We're going to discuss this text together today. And it says what? I have set the Lord always before me, in front of me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. If you look into the original Hebrew for this text, the word moved is more than moved. It's more than just moving from point A to point B. Actually, it literally means shaken. I shall not be shaken. And it is associated with the Hebrew word having to do with an earthquake. Not just shaken, but shaken as if you have an earthquake under your feet. And there is a big earthquake coming to this world. Now, look at the first part. I have set. It's a personal decision. Nobody can set the Lord before you except yourself. That's why I like your theme. You own it. Your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your pastor, your friends cannot make the decision for you. It's a personal decision between you and God. I have set the Lord always in front of me. The focal point of my attention in this world, even our church, we tend to set all kinds of things before us except the Lord Jesus. The average Seventh-day Adventist member spends many, many, many hours in front of the screen, involved in social media, there are a lot of things we're tempted and enticed to set before us, except what we need the most. And that's the Lord. And so here this text shows us two locations where the Lord is to be found in our lives. In the real estate agents focus on in selling houses, location, location, location. In this text, it's talking about location. Location of a house? No. Location of the Lord Jesus. The first location is where? Where is the first location? Where is the first location? I've said the Lord always in front of me. So the first location of the Lord is where? In front of me. Before me. What does that imply? I feel like I'm teaching a class right now. I'm moving around. 
What does it imply? What's your name? That's a nice name. What does it imply? That the Lord Jesus' location is right in front of you. The focal point of attention. What does it imply? In front of us? Implying what? In front of us. Right. Exactly. And he is our leader. And he is our guide. If you want any leadership in your life, Jesus is the best leader. And if you want some guidance, he is the best guide. That's why I tell my students and wherever I preach that Jesus is the best friend you can ever have. You know, in the springtime especially, I do a lot of premarital counseling to college students. You know, they want to court each other and they want to plan on getting married. So they come to see me, dozens of them. And after I listen to their wonderful language about how they love each other, <clears throat> I ask one important question. And it startles them. I like to startle people. It has an effect on them. So out of the blue, I ask this question. Excuse me, my good student, John. Is there anybody else around you love more than your girlfriend? Of course not. What kind of a question is that? I love the most. Uh, excuse me, Brittany, my good student. Think about it carefully. Is there anybody around you love more than your boyfriend? Oh, no, of course not. He's the one I love the most. You got to give people a second chance to respond. Let me ask you both this question. Is there anybody, not just on campus, but the whole world? In the whole world, he is first and foremost in my life. I love him the most. I said, let me try the third time. Is there anybody in this big, wide universe you love more than your boyfriend, your girlfriend? Uh, Dr. Sama, I mean, are you trying to, uh, you seem to be dissatisfied with our answers. You should be happy for our answers. Uh, do you mean, is it, is it Jesus Christ? Of course, now we can do serious business. No young lady should ever marry a young man unless he loves Jesus more than her and more than anybody else, and more than anything else. Why? Because Jesus himself said, if you love father, mother, brother, sister, including husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, more than me, you are not worthy of me. And people look at this text as a hard text to interpret. You know, this is one of the difficult texts. It's not difficult. I grew up in that culture, the culture of the Holy Lands, and I know that language. What Jesus was saying is this. If you love me first and foremost, more than anyone else, I'll pour out into your heart my genuine agape love. You'll be always replenished by that source that's limitless. And when you love me first, I fill you by genuine love that you can pour it out on others more than ever before. The quality, the best. 
the quantity the most. Why would you want to marry anybody unless Jesus is first and foremost in their life? That's what he meant by that. So then, what we're talking about, I have set the Lord in front of me. That's the first location. What does that imply? He's my guide. He's my leader. He is first and foremost in my life. Let me ask you a question. Do you love anybody more than Jesus? Think about it. Think about it right now and let this question convict your heart. Do you love anything more than Jesus? Is there someone in this life that you love the most? Think of that person right now at this moment, you hear my voice, and then compare that person to Jesus. And if you love Jesus more, praise the Lord. If you discover in your heart and you're convicted there is something, somebody you love more than Jesus, please, please reconsider. And think about Jesus being first and foremost in your life. And then you will love the most those people in your life because Jesus fills your heart with a genuine agape love. Now let me ask somebody else who looks to me like an A student. Now don't look down because you're the person I would ask. Hannah, <clears throat> I knew you when you were a little baby. Tiny baby, like you a few days old. And now I think you are 19 or 18. You're what? Really? 22 years old. I'm amazed. You've come a long way, baby. And this is your brother. I used to play with, and remember when I came to see you, was it Virginia? And you showed me that little donkey. You're all grown up. Can you stand up, please? You want to see how tall you are. And your name is? Nathan, exactly. Wow. Well, Hannah, she's older than you. How old are you? You're 20? 20. Well, that's what I said, 20. See, I come from the south, and instead of saying 20, we say 20. Can you say 20? No, not T, 20. Good. Now we're talking. I have a question for you. And the second location of Jesus, our Lord, in our lives, he's in front of us as our leader and guide. Now, the second location is what? He is what? What does that imply to you? Jesus is not only in front of us, our guide and leader. He is walking next to us. Uh, he's our friend. He's our companion. And also he is our helper. Like sometimes we have this expression, he is my right hand man. If I work in this conference and I had Daryl Bentley around here and I hired him to be my assistant, I would say with all my heart, he is my right hand man. Which means what? You can depend on him. He's reliable. I can count on him, not worry about it. And now it's not anymore Pastor Daryl Bentley. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who is our right-hand man. Not only to guide us, not only to lead us, but to stick around and walk next to us in order to help us. Whatever the Lord inspires us to do as he leads us, he hangs around to help us accomplish it. What a great, what a great 
location for Jesus in our lives. Do you desire to have him as your leader? Oh, please do not be sucked into the culture of this world that entices all of us, seduces all of us to focus on everything else except the Lord Jesus. I want to focus on the word moved and the word shaken. It really means shaken. So many people today are being shaken. Do you know of any Seventh-day Adventists who are being shaken, classmates being shaken, were told when Seventh-day Adventists students graduate from college, the majority leave the church. What's our problem? Why are we so shaken? I'm looking at you, and you must be wonderful Adventist young people. You chose to come to camp meeting. The Lord led you to be here. Let me look at you straight in the eye and ask you the question, will you be shaken? I should hope not. But the question is, how not to be shaken? So many people are being shaken. The Adventist church will go through a time of the shaking, especially because of the straight testimony. Will you be shaken? I don't want to be shaken. I don't want you to be shaken. But it's not a matter of sentiment. How can we anchor our lives in the rock Jesus so we don't have to be shaken? And the only two answers I can give you for not being shaken is this. Deliberately, intentionally decide right here and now to have Jesus in front of you. To have Jesus Walk by your side as your leader and as your helper. And you'll never be shaken. Why? Because Jesus is never be shaken. Do you believe Jesus will never be shaken? And if you're anchored in Jesus, you'll never be shaken. Because Jesus shares his life, his experience with you. I think you probably know this story. But I want to tell you the story again, if you heard it, because it means so much to me. A pastor had a hobby of collecting shells as he walked by the seashore. His house was next to the seashore. And now let me just say this to you. Shells represent us, represent you, Pastors, me, everybody here. What about a shell? Even though it might look pretty, yet it is movable. It can be shaken. It can be tossed back and forth by the waves. It can be blown away by the wind. It can be covered by the sand. It can be stepped on by people. That's what we are about. We're a bunch of shells. Before you get depressed and feel bad, you're only a shell stepped on or tossed back and forth. I won't talk about the rock. In the distance, as he was walking, he saw this big, huge rock. 
situate between the crashing waves and the shifting sands. And maybe there was a mountain beneath that rock. And he saw a pretty little shell sitting on top of the rock. And he liked that shell. It looked nice and pretty. So casually, he tried to pick the shell to add to his collection. But it was hard to pick. He tried harder. He couldn't move it. He put all the shells aside, and with both hands, he tried hard to pry that small shell loose from the rock, but he could not budge it. Why? Because it was stuck. It was stuck in the rock. What are we stuck into? Are we stuck in the world and the things of the world? Are we stuck in the rock? Now is the time in these last days to be stuck in nothing else but the rock. And because the rock is immovable, you become immovable. You're stuck in the rock. I have set the Lord always in front of me because He's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And Jesus is that rock. Are you resonating with me? Does this make sense to you? Our only hope in this world is the rock. You know, there is a commercial by Prudential Insurance Company. Anybody here? Heard about Prudential? Raise your hand. What's the matter with you people? Are you insured? How can you live in this life without being insured by Prudential? Because they have a slogan. Anybody knows the slogan? Nobody knows the slogan? I bet Pastor Herthel knows the slogan. I'm putting my slogan in the spot like I did on that tricky question for Adventist Heritage. Aren't you glad finally you got it? Yes, because you got to believe in the spirit of prophecy, right? You know what the slogan is? You know, sign up for our program. It's a big insurance company. No matter how many earthquakes, calamities hit you, you're in good shape. You want to make it in this life. So the slogan goes this way. Have a peace in the... Where is Pastor Bentley? He should know the last word. Have a peace in the... He's not here? Is Mrs. Bentley here to take his place? Oh, I wasn't seeing you. Why were you hiding from me down there? Have a peace in the... What a slogan. Because they tell you, especially if you live in Southern California, the big one is going to hit. The big earthquake. Have a peace in the rock. But you know something? I'm thinking about the real big one. When Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven, there'll be a huge earthquake. It will not affect only Southern California. It will take big mountains, dump them in the sea. It will make some islands disappear. Prudential company will do you no good. Don't put your trust in things that pass away. Put your trust in the rock that will last forever. Have a peace 
in the real rock, Jesus. And you're not afraid of any earthquakes, what comes upon the world, because you're anchored, because you're stuck in the rock. I counsel a lot of young people, but I'm smiling, because this guy comes to me and says, oh, Dr. Samahan, I met this young lady. You know something? I said, well, I mean, do you love her? How do you feel? Oh, not only that, I'm stuck on her. S-T-U-C-K. Please be stuck in the rock, Jesus. No stucking will last in any relationship unless you're stuck in Jesus. And so, oh, he got prudential right there. I can't believe my students are so smart. I hardly say the word, it's right there. May I continue talking about the rock. Not the rock prudential, but the rock of ages. Because I believe in rocks. I met a Catholic professor. His wife is an Adventist. Who teaches at a big university. Very important scholar. His wife has been trying to study with him, to witness to him, for 17 years. And he is very stubborn. He's stuck in his ideas. He said to me, I don't care how much you try, I'm stuck in my ideas. You cannot teach an old dog. <laughs> I'm glad he refers to himself as a dog. You know? <laughs> in my culture, if you refer to a dog, that's really bad. Dogs are very respectable in America. You know, I mean, people love dogs. I'm smiling because, I mean, you know, they eat at the table. They're adopted as children. <laughs> you graduated 10 years ago. So do you have any children yet? You're my student. No, we don't, but we have two. What are they? A chihuahua <laughs> and a poodle. <laughs> very interesting children. You cannot teach. Old dogs, new tricks. But he's patient with his husband. Talked about intellectual things as to professors. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit touched his heart as we were walking together in his subdivision. He said, well, you Adventists. He brought that up. I didn't. He got himself in trouble. You Adventists cannot be the true church. You know why? Because you don't have the rock. What do you mean by that? He said, Jesus told Peter. And Peter gave his keys to the Pope. So the Pope has the authority of Peter. He got the keys of Peter. And you know what Jesus said? I mean, now he was, he was getting himself in big trouble. He had no idea whom he was messing with here. He got me. And he was just thrilled. That's funny. Got me. And I was just relaxed. Take it easy, Dr. Simon. You'll have your chance. Let him dig himself deeper in the hole before he gets stuck in the rock. He said, and you know what Jesus said to Peter? You are Peter on this rock. I'll build my church. So Jesus built his church on the rock. The Catholic Church is built on the rock. No other church was built on the rock because only the Catholic Church has Peter. 
I said, I, I, I waited for him to say more, <laughs> but he stopped. He said, what do you think? There is no answer to this. I said, oh, yeah, there's an answer. God has an answer to everything. The Bible has many answers. They happen to be correct answers. I said, well, I just happen to know biblical Greek. Isn't that nice? It came in very handy. So you, pastors, Herthel, and Beth, don't forget your Greek. You, taught, you, were learned, you, taught, you were taught at our university, okay? It comes in handy once in a while. So I happen to know biblical Greek. Yeah, so what? I said, what do you mean, so what? Let's look at it when we get to your house. And that's what the Greek says. Jesus said to Peter, you are Petros. You are Petros, and on this Petra, I'll build my church. There are two words for rock. Really? I had no idea. Are you sure? I said, yes, look at it. Don't these look different? You know, the Greek kind of looks like English. You see? Petros. What does that mean? Oh, Petros means a shifty, movable, unstable, rolling stone. That's the meaning of it. All of us are Petros. The only Petra is Jesus Christ. All of us. We all are represented by Petras, by Peter. And I said, was he really? Of course he was that one. Are you sure Peter was shifting? Oh, yes. More than any other disciple. He is the one who gave up on Jesus and denied Jesus three times with swearing. And then he gathered all the disciples. He said, let's run for our lives. We have a lost cause. If anybody was shifty, it was Peter. And tell me more about Peter. Told him a lot of things shifty about Peter. Do you really want the church to be built on such shaky ground? No. But Jesus offers us a better alternative. What's the alternative? You are Petros. Shaky, movable, unstable. But, and by the way, in the Bible or in our everyday conversation, when you say, Pastor Bentley, you have so wonderful necktie today. You come to here nice. But he knows something negative is coming. Something different. You are Petros. Shaky, movable, and stay. But something different. Something that's better. But on this Petra, I will build my church. Aren't you thankful? You and the church are built on the Petra, Jesus Christ. Anybody has ever visited Petra in the Middle East? Raise your hand. Petra is in Jordan. Anybody has visited that place? Are you sure? Have you heard about it? If you heard about Petra in Jordan, raise your hand. You know what they call Petra? Because a city built on a rock. Well, not built on a rock, built in a rock. All the houses, all the buildings are carved out of solid granite rock. It has been there for thousands of years. It's still there. Petra. Stable. Immovable. And Christ is described as the Petra. 
So this sophisticated professor, poor wife working on 17 years, now he is convicted to follow the Petra more than the Petras. Isn't that wonderful? God's word is powerful, isn't it? It changed people's lives. One more thing about one more thing about the rock. Let me check my notes for a moment to see if I'm still doing okay. Wow. I have so many more things to say. I veered away from my lecture. Let's check what time it is. Pastor Bentley said you can go all the way to 12.30. Good 35 minutes. Let me see if I can finish it in five minutes. And I want to make an appeal. Prepare your heart for an appeal. I don't preach anymore unless I make an appeal. Are you okay with that? Thank you. I make appeals. You know, I was invited somewhere in the world. I won't say where. So, Dr. Saman, we heard you make appeals for people to be anchored in the rock, to give their lives to Jesus. Do you still do that? I said, yes. Yes, of course I do that. Well, if you make appeals, we won't invite you here because our people are touchy. Our people get offended. When you make appeals, it's too personal. It pricks their conscience. We want our members to come to church to feel comfortable. I said, either I make appeals or I'm not coming. Take it or leave it. You know why? I began to preach at him. Because the devil always makes very seductive, enticing appeals. For people to accept him, it's high time we Christians make appeals to accept Jesus Christ. He has nothing to offer the devil except misery and death. He is a loser. Christ is the winner. He offers abundant life and life eternal. Either I make appeals or I'm not coming. Well, we'll put you in the best hotel. We'll pay all your expenses. We give you a high honorarium. I don't care what you give me. Give me the whole world. If I don't make appeals, I'm not coming. So I hope here in the Mission Conference, you folks don't mind an appeal, right? Do you mind an appeal? How many would desire to have an appeal this morning? Raise your hand. I want to know what's in your heart. One last thing about the rock. In Luke chapter 20. In Luke chapter 20. And maybe, and I need to give you the verse so you can put it on the screen. Luke chapter 20 and verse 18. Luke 20, chapter 18. What does it say? Jesus is making his final appeal to the Pharisees and Sadducees. You're not Pharisees and Sadducees, but I'm making an appeal to you. What did he say? Chapter 20, verse 18. We'll focus on verse 18. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone or that rock shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You know something? Some people look at this verse and to them it's negative. Jesus cannot talk that way. Why not? Oh, Jesus only talks about 
unconditional love. Of course, Jesus talks about unconditional love. That's the most important thing he talks about. But we got to have all of Jesus, not just part of Jesus. And that's what he says. He says there's a judgment. There is a bruising. There is a brokenness. The best thing that ever happened to me in my life is brokenness when Jesus brought brokenness to me. And I can tell the people I talk to every day if they have been broken on the rock, Jesus. Because they're humble and meek. Humble and meek and lonely in heart. And I know the people who've never been broken, they come across overconfident, arrogant. I'm on top of the world. May God humble us. May God bring some brokenness to our lives. And Jesus is making appeal for us to make a decision. And we got to make a choice. The question is this. What do you do with the rock? What do you do with the rock, Jesus? He gives us two choices right now. He said, first choice, be humble, be teachable. Fall on the rock, Jesus, in humility, contriteness, and repentance. You might be bruised when this happens to you, but you will become anchored in him until he comes. The other choice is if you do not fall on the rock in humility and repentance and submission, then the rock will eventually have to fall on you and me in judgment. Is this a hard sermon? I mean, that's the choice he gives us. Now, in many things in life, we don't have to make that decision. This decision, every one of us has to make, including myself. And don't think the pastor is going to make it for you. You got to take ownership of it. It's your life. It's your salvation. It doesn't matter if your name is written on the church record. It has to be written in the book of life. It didn't matter if Nicodemus was a righteous man. No, all the Bible came to Jesus. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. It has to be your own personal decision. You've got to take ownership. You've got to decide that the sooner the better. Now is the best time. Why? Because you can change your mind about changing your major in college. It changed your career. Especially in the Western world, change your spouse. The average American marriage lasts only seven years. And buy a new house, buy a new car. Everything in life you can change and work around. Accept this decision, you got to deal with the rock. Jesus, no escape from that. The question I want to ask you, is the Holy Spirit convicting you to fall on the rock now, what does that mean? Open your heart to Jesus. He is your leader. He's your best friend. He's your helper. Open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, whatever it takes. Come into my heart. I want to fall on you. <laughs> and I know I might be broken or bruised, but I'd rather have you bruised than dead. That's all. There are people at the end who will say, 
may the rocks fall upon us and hide us from his face. I would rather have you and me say, this our Lord, we have waited for. He saved us. So this is my appeal as a piano playing so beautifully and we have the prayer of consecration. How many here would join me right now as I decide to fall on Jesus, to fall on Jesus now? Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you're really convicted that you want to fall on the rock and you don't mind if you're bruised or broken, would you please kneel with me for the prayer of consecration? Dear Heavenly Father, the Petra, the rock Jesus, appealing to us this morning because he loves us with all his heart. He would do anything to save us. And he's making the very clear and precise appeal. And we cannot escape deciding about the rock. If now, when? At the end, we don't want to have any regrets. We don't want to say the summer is gone and the harvest is finished and we're not saved. Now is the moment, this is the time, dear Lord, as you touch our hearts. We choose right now to open our hearts to you. You've died of a broken heart. Your big heart was broken and bled for each one of us. Now we offer you our sinful hearts. And dear Lord, may our sinful little hearts fall upon you big broken heart. And if we need to be bruised, so be it. If we need to be broken, so let it be. What we want is to be saved and be ready for your coming. That's a big priority right now. As we need to gather, dear Lord, our hearts need before you. Say, Lord, whatever it takes, we want to fall on you, the rock, right now. If we need humbling, fine. Brokenness, fine. Being bruised, fine. We choose to fall on the rock now and not wait and procrastinate and the rock will fall on us in judgment. Let's fall on you now in salvation. Would you please take this prayer request from our hearts? Saturate with the much fragrant incense of your intercessions. Espouse it unto yourself. Because we want to make you smile. We want to have your heart rejoice. But here, kneeling together as one family, we are totally falling on you.
do as I say, please, and thank you, dear Lord, for the invitation and for you being happy for our decision. We'd rather have you happy, have you smile, have your heart be thrilled with joy because of our decision than anything else in the world. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.